0: We're doing a mini-series, probably until November. Can I Trust God? But today, since it is New Members Sunday, I thought we could look at what the Scriptures teach us about church membership, what it is to be part of a church. So we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and in a few minutes we'll read verses 1 to 16. Recently, perhaps some of you have seen the book and the information from George Barna. He said that we're in the midst of a spiritual revolution that is reshaping Christianity, personal faith, corporate religious experience, and the moral contours of the nation. He says the ones leading this coup d'etat are some 20 million people dubbed revolutionaries who they live, quote, a first century lifestyle based on faith, Goodness, love, generosity, kindness, and simplicity, and who zealously pursue an intimate relationship with God—that that that sounds wonderful. Really, the best news in a while. But before we, uh, the author says here, before we break out the party poppers, we should note that, like every revolution, this one has a loser: the local church. In Barnes' work, he says, um, uh, and the author says, unlike the Great Awakenings, which brought people into the church, this new movement entails drawing people away from reliance upon a local church into a deeper connection with and reliance upon God. Barna says millions of believers have stopped going to church and says in 20 years only about one-third of the population will rely upon a local congregation as a primary or exclusive means for experiencing or expressing their faith. He says that's only a, quote, congregationally formatted ministry. One of the many ways to develop a life of faith-centered life. We made it up, writes Barna. Whether you become a revolutionary immersed in, minimally involved in, or completely disassociated from a local church is irrelevant to me, he says, "and, and, and within boundaries to God. So where are these revolutionaries going? They are going to many movements, things like homeschooling, house churches, Bible studies at work, and Chris Tomlin worship concerts. So there's this phenomenon of Of revolutionaries, as Barnett calls them, who are pursuing their relationship with God apart from a local church. Let's contrast that with Ephesians chapter 4. Let's listen to the word of God and then we will pray. Starting actually in chapter 3, verse 20, I'll read that and then go into 4. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. And saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the One also who also ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the Head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's God's Word from Ephesians 4. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a world where all of us are influenced to some degree by the same thinking that George Barna is reporting. And Lord, certainly there's some good things in that, but there's also much that's contrary to Your Word. And Lord, I pray as we look at Your Word and examine these things, as I seek to communicate to Your people, I pray, Lord, that You Yourself would come and honor the preaching of Your Word. Not because... I deserve anything, Lord. I'm a a needy sinner. Grateful for our Savior. Not because we can figure it out, but because You are a God who loves us and loves to speak to us and wants to give us life, true and full life in You for Your glory as well. So we pray, Lord, now as we listen to Your Word, would You speak to us? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Change us, Lord God, and lead us in Your Ways of righteousness and glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This passage in Ephesians 4 is just a wonderful picture, a compelling picture for the place of the church in God's purposes. Contrary to what George Barnum might be saying, the local church, the church universal and expressed specifically through local churches is the apple of God's eye. According to Ephesians 4 and elsewhere, it's the primary vehicle by which He expresses His glory to the entire universe. Paul has spent time in this book getting very excited about the Gospel. And as he comes to the end of chapter 3, he prepares to launch into chapter 4. His excitement about the Gospel. His excitement about what God has done in Christ. His excitement about God exalting Himself in and through Christ, that Christ might fill all things, leads him to the local church. In God's plans, in Paul's mind under the Lord, this excitement about the glory of God in Christ drives him to God's glory in and through the local church. So chapter three does not end saying now to him who is able to do far more abundantly all that we that we ask or imagine, according to the power that has worked within us, to him be the glory in individual, independent, loosely affiliated Christians and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. But says, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And Paul just doesn't mean the universal church because he's writing this letter to a specific local church. They would have understood that. The church is at the center of God's plans to show His glory through Christ. And so we must learn to have the church at the center of our plans for God's glory in and through our lives. Thus, church membership, being vitally connected and a part of a local church, is essential to God's plans. Ephesians 4, 1-16 teaches us this. We learn here, Three things, we learn that the glorious good news of Jesus Christ propels us, it propels us into the practice of vital church membership for the purpose of seeing the fullness of Christ expressed in and through the church to the glory of God. We are propelled by the Gospel to practice church membership for the purpose of God Seen His fullness in Christ in and through the church to His glory. So let's talk about those three things. First, propelled by the Gospel. This book of Ephesians is fantastic. It's a wonderful book. I hope at some point to go through the series. It is just packed with celebration of the good news of Christ. The glorious Gospel of Christ and all that it brings. The first paragraph of the book in chapter 1 is is includes this sentence that's actually a run-on sentence that's one exuberant celebration of the amazing grace of the Gospel. And Paul just celebrates and talks about in this sentence. It's just so packed, full of meaning and truth. And then he goes on and prays for the Ephesians that they would know the hope they have in Christ and in the Gospel, the riches that are theirs, and the power that's for them in Christ. He continues to communicate, lifting up Christ and, and, and speaks of the fullness of God being in Christ and Christ filling all things. Christ in His dominion and His greatness filling the whole universe and, and ruling over all things. He's speaking of the grand plan of God. And he's celebrating that through that first section. That God has chosen to express His glory most fully and completely in and through Christ, crucified and risen and reigning and returning. His death and victorious resurrection over sin for sinners like us. His reign is to encompass all of creation. So as you read those first three chapters, it's just packed full of celebration. It's packed full of promises. It's packed full of, of Gospel-saturated truths. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful section on all that the Gospel means and is to me and all of what God's plans are in and through Christ. And so Paul spends that time in that first part of Ephesians doing that. And then he starts to transition at the end of chapter 3. And he has this, this sentence or two of celebration. And we're familiar with this. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. As Paul thinks about the glory and the wonder of God in Christ and all that he's done and the wonder of forgiveness of sins and the love of God and the glory of God expressed in Christ, he celebrates that and wants to see God glorified. And he wants to see God glorified how? How? Through Christ in the church. That's where he goes with this celebration. This is really key for us and for every church. Church membership is something that is entirely Gospel-fueled. Before there's a call to church membership in the active life of a member, there is the Gospel. There is there is the wonder of the Gospel at work propelling us into active involvement in a local church. We don't become members of a church simply because we ought to, though we ought to. We don't become members of a church because we want friends, though God has called us to community. We don't become members of a church simply to, to obtain greater Christlikeness, as important as that is. We become members of a church because the good news of Christ with its forgiveness of sins, with its infinite love of God for us, with its taste of the glories of God, with its transforming power in our lives, our outlooks and desires, and our new life in Christ, we become members of a local church because the good news of Christ with all these things propels us into the full fruition of the Gospel in the local church. These things, these promises, these truths fill us and transform us and work in us by grace the desire to walk out those truths in full fruition in the local church. Before there is membership, before there is participation in a church, there is the Gospel propelling us. And so Paul calls us at the beginning in chapter For verse 1, I therefore, I therefore, in light of this wonderful Gospel, in light of God's glorious plans to exalt Himself and bless others through the local church, in light of God's desire in Christ to fill the universe and demonstrate His glory and His reign in Christ, in light of this and this desire in the local church, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How do you do that? Well, he goes on from there to talk about it. And in Paul's mind, how do you do that? How do you respond to the Gospel? By eagerly and in faith, powered by the Gospel and grace, jumping into the life of a local church and walking out the truths of the Gospel. Allowing those truths to come to full fruition in our lives. We are to be propelled. We are to be fueled by the Gospel. When I was graduating from college, almost 30 years ago now, that's amazing. I still think I'm 20-something, but about 30 years ago, I had an opportunity to work for uh, General Dynamics Electric Boat in Groton, Connecticut. That's where they build the submarines for the U.S. Navy. And these, uh, the submarines are really Amazing. A submarine is a combination of a battleship and, a, oh, and in some sense a hotel resort all packed into this long tube, metal tube, about, a, about 600 feet long, some of them. And, and these tubes will go under the sea and stay under the sea for even months at a time. At the heart of a submarine, though, is a small nuclear reactor. They have nuclear reactors inside of submarines, and you probably think, wow, that's kind of crazy. Uh, But but actually, they work really well, and they are really quiet. Submarines need to be quiet because they're supposed to sneak up on you. So they're very quiet, and there's these small nuclear reactors in all the subs. And these nuclear reactors are powered by a little tiny pellet. I guess it's probably about that big. About 150 grams of radioactive material. And those little pellets are potent enough and small enough that they can load up a submarine with enough fuel so it never has to refuel for 30 years. 30 years they can be powered by those little pellets. Yeah, it would be great in cars, but it might be bad when we get in an accident with a nuclear reactor. Those little pellets are potent. They power this gigantic submarine, many of them, for 30 years. That's like The Gospel. The Gospel is a potent pellet that is full of power for us. And if we as individuals and as a church are to do our work of ministry, of of exalting Christ and reaching the lost in His name, we need those pellets. And if, if that pellet is firing away for us as a church, if we keep the Gospel central and essential in all that we do personally and corporately, we will find fuel to accomplish the mission of the local church. Church membership first and foremost is propelled by the Gospel. It propels us into the practice of church membership. This passage is packed full of truths about the practice. And as I went through it, my first go through, I had like 14 pages of stuff to say, which I cannot say today. But I just want to touch on a few things. The practice of church membership is spelled out in in this chapter and the, the rest of Ephesians as well. Paul, right off the bat, in verse 2, calls us to Christ-like conduct. Our practice of church membership is centered on Christ, committed to community. Those are the two key things. Centered on Christ, committed to community. Centered on Christ, committed to community. So right off the bat, in verse 2, Paul calls us to this sort of behavior that's Christ-like, centered on Christ, like Christ. All humility—we're called to—with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We're called to these characteristics of humility, and gentleness, and patience, and bearing with one another in love, being patient with one another, waiting with waiting for others to get the message and to grow, we bear with them. We wait with them. We love them. We're patient. We're gentle. We're kind. We're humble. All humility with one another. These wonderful and glorious Christ-like characteristics we're called to in the church. Isn't God smart to call us to this sort of behavior in the presence of a group? Can you imagine in Scripture if we we had this call to humility and gentleness and there wasn't the context of a local church? We could just be by ourselves. I am really humble when I'm by myself. I'm very gentle and very kind when I'm by myself. Before I got married, I thought I was a really godly guy. I was very impressed with my humility, my kindness, my consideration. Then I got married. And all of a sudden, through a relationship with a, a very godly woman, I started to recognize, you know what, I'm, I'm just so unbelievably selfish. And I'm only humble and gentle and kind on my own when it's convenient. But now in relationship, I'm pressed. And it's hard. And then we had kids. And that upped the level. And then around that time, we became part of a local church. And that upped the level too. All of a sudden, it was a lot harder to walk in these things. Yet God calls us to do this. He calls us to walk in humility, gentleness. Why? Because He's mean? No. Because He wants to truly form in us individually and as a group Christlikeness. He wants to drive us to this Gospel truth that we need for forgiveness and fuel for holiness. He wants to drive us to there with this call to Christlikeness and the recognition that I'm desperate, Lord. I'm a jerk and I need Your help. That so we run to Him and run to Christ for forgiveness and power. And then by His grace, we turn around and actually see progress in humility and gentleness and love and in kindness. We need relationship. We need the local church. We need this call. We need to do it with others. There's a quote from Mark Dever if you could put up. Mark Dever is a pastor and likes to be a little bit Press, presses our button sometimes. Do you have this quote to put up? There we go. Yeah, uh, it's, it's an earlier one than that. He says, if you are not a member of the church you regularly attend, you may well be going to hell. Ouch. I don't mean for a second that you literally have to have your name on a membership card in a church somewhere to go to heaven. I believe in justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. At the same time, in the New Testament, it seems that the local church is there to verify or falsify our claims to be Christians. The man in 1 Corinthians 5 who was sleeping with his father's wife thought of himself as a Christian. I don't care how much you cry during singing or preaching, If you don't live a life marked by love toward others, the Bible has no encouragement for you to think that you're a Christian. None. Do you want to know that your new life is real? Commit yourself to a local group of saved sinners. Try to love them. Don't just do it for three weeks. Don't just do it for six months. Do it for years. And I think you'll find, and others will too, whether or not you love God. The truth will show itself. Joining a church won't save you. It's only the death of Christ that saves you. He alone is our righteousness. But if He really is our righteousness, if we really love Him whom we have not seen, it will show itself by us loving those we do see. There is not room in the New Testament for maverick Christians. If we are alone, we are in danger of deceiving ourselves and wandering from the faith that we at least initially cherished. Membership in a local church is for our own safety in Christ, our own growth and the blessing of others. We as a church are committed to this walking together. Sundays are a wonderful time for us as a church as we worship corporately. An essential part of our life as a church is to come together. God loves to visit and promises to visit His people as they worship corporately. We love Sundays. We come to hear the Word preached. God speaks to us when we hear the Word of God preached. That's so important. But Sunday is not the church. Sunday is part of what the church is about. It's part of the life of the church. We must walk together. And we as a church have chosen to use small groups as a key and vital way to walk together. So these truths that we're learning about, we found we can't actually do it just on Sundays, as important as Sundays are. We need other contexts. So we have as a church created, as part of our family of churches really, small groups. And the aim of small groups is so that we could walk together. We could learn to love each other. We could have others that love us and know us well enough both encourage us and help us when we need help. That we could walk together and grow in love and also create a context where others can come in and see the love of Christ among people who are weak and needy, yet dependent on the all-sufficient God who fills them with love so that when people come in, they too are loved and see God and see the Gospel put on display. Our small groups are an essential and vital part of our membership of the church. And I encourage you, if you're not part of a small group, to join one. We have one in Haverhill, meets on Thursday nights. One in Londonderry every other Monday. And we're starting one in October uh, and here in Bradford on Sundays, twice a month. And if those are hard times for you to make, talk to me, because we want to do all we can to provide context for you. We don't do it because we're just trying to be tough and be mean with our membership. We do it because of Ephesians We do it because of God's purposes for us and the blessing that comes, the mutual blessing that comes through life together. So we walk out these Christ-like truths in community. We are called to Christ-like oneness, too. There's a a wonderful section here where Paul's talking about our unity, that we are to, to seek to preserve unity in the church. We are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so he goes and talks about all these one things. There's one body and and one Spirit and one Lord, one baptism. That God Himself is one and His ways are one. And so we as a people are to come together in unity and be one together. We are to build together around the Gospel in relationship to be one. It's interesting. Sometimes we read about unity in the Scripture. And we think about the church Globally, we think the fact that there are these different denominations and why, why is that the case? Why can't they be one? That's God's intention. And it certainly is. God wants to make His people one around Christ. Not just one apart from Christ, but around Christ. That's important, but that's not what this is talking about. Paul's writing this letter to a church. He's saying, Church of Ephesus, strive for unity among yourselves. Strive to be together. Strive to build together. Strive so much around the Gospel by grace in love that when people look at you, they see one unit. They see unity of heart and truth. They see love. They see unity in a local church. We are called to unity together as a local church around Christ. We are to strive for that. We are to deal with anything that gets in the way of unity. It doesn't mean we all are going to like the color blue. It will be all our favorite. We all like vanilla ice cream the most. That's not unity. Ephesians goes on to talk about in this unity, each of us has been given gifts. Different gifts. is diversity. The unity comes with our central commitment to Christ and the Gospel. And our central sentiment around that of loving Him and loving one another. That's what unity is about. It flows from that. Essential agreement and relationship. We are called to that locally. Paul's calling this church to unity. Some other points here. There's this Christ-centered unity that we are to seek after so that the glory of God might be put on display. And the whole power is the Gospel and the grace of God that comes with the Gospel. So Paul continues here. He talks about the unity and then he starts talking about diversity. He says there's this oneness that's there. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That in this body, certainly universal, but speaking in its application of a local church, within this local church in Ephesus and, and by extension our church, there's unity but there's gifts given to each one. And they're gifts that come from Christ's gifts. So Paul speaks of Christ. He says he is quoting Scripture. He ascended on high from Psalm 68, and he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. That Christ, when he died for sin and was raised by the Father, he had in his train this host of captives that were captured by his death on the cross for sin. That his work on the cross effectively purchased his people. His blood paid for us way back then. And at some point in time, by faith, we came to him and were made part of that host of captives, brought to him. And then he he gifts these captives and turns around and gives them to the church. His work of his resurrection, he captured our hearts, captured our lives, and then gave us grace and released us to the church. So our involvement in the local church is by God's grace. And he's given us grace. He's given us gifts. He's given us gifts to serve the church. If you are a believer, you are graced by Him through Christ. And He's not given you this gift to send you out on your own. The intent, the purpose of the gift is to be sent back into the church, in the life of the church, to participate in the life of the church and the mission of the church that's outward to the world. And we are to, through these grace gifts, be formed into the image of Christ and be like Him. So when people see a local church, they see Jesus. And when they encounter those people in that local church on the street and in the workplace and, and, and outreach and whatever we're doing, they encounter Christ. Just as Christ was sent by the Father to the world, we are sent to the world. The gifts are for that purpose. They're for the church. They're not there merely for our enjoyment. They're not there merely because God is gracious. They're not there merely for our self realization. They're there for the body. Your gifts are given for the good of others. And if you don't use your gift for the good of others, you are living in opposition to their purpose. You are taking the gift from God and saying, no thanks, I don't want to use it. But if the Gospel has affected your life, I know that's not your heart. We ought to take this gift of grace and fully engage it in a local church. Church. We are to take our gifts, and each one of you have gifts, multiple gifts. I, I know you guys. You're, you're multiply gifted. I don't think I've ever met anybody that has just one simple little gift. There's always multiple gifts. We're called to, to use those gifts in the life of the local church and in the mission of the local church. To be fully engaged, giving away what we've been given. Not robbing God, but giving away. Each of us have been given, in a sense, a piece of the jigsaw puzzle. A gift that is meant to lock into the other piece of the jigsaw puzzle to make a complete picture. And that picture is Jesus. You have a piece of the jigsaw puzzle. You are to bring it to this local church or if you're part of another one, that local church to plug it in and to complement the other gifts and together to make a picture of Jesus. In 1983, there were two elderly ladies that met at a senior center in New Jersey. One of them was Margaret Patrick. She had grown up in Harlem and as a young person had become a musical and piano virtuoso. She was very gifted. She had performed with Duke Ellington. The other woman, Ruth Eisenberg, was a gifted wife of a music instructor who had toured the country performing with her husband. A year earlier or so, both the women, 74 and 85 now respectively, had suffered massive strokes. Mrs. Patrick couldn't speak well was virtually paralyzed except for her left hand. Mrs. Eisenberg had trouble walking and the full use of only her right hand. Meeting at that senior center and being introduced by someone else, they learned of their mutual interest in the piano. And they sat down side by side at the piano. And Mrs. Eisenberg, with her right hand, played the treble notes Mrs. Patrick with her left hand played the bass notes. Both of them were very gifted and it sounded wonderful. They developed a deep friendship and started playing together as Ebony and Ivory and and toured the country, actually. Thrilling audiences to their cooperative music. That's how it is in the church. We have our gifts. Someone else has their gifts. When we come together in the church, we make music for the Lord and accomplish His purposes. We are given gifts for the sake of His purposes in and through the church. There's so much in this passage I'd love to hit on. One of the things I think you hear through and through is the centrality of the Gospel. That this life of sharing gifts, this life shared together, driven by the Gospel, centers on the Gospel. It's 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 keeping the Gospel central that creates and propels the church and shapes it. So if you look down, you'll see in verse 13 that we are to work together until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And the, the, the use of that word there means the unity of our, of our truth, the things we believe in, meaning centrally the Gospel. And the knowledge of the Son of God, the truth of His death for our sin, His resurrection, and victory over sin and death, His, His reign, His return. This Gospel is to function as we come together, it's to, to fill all that we do. And the result is mature manhood, no longer being tossed about by false doctrine, but in verse 16 or 15, rather speaking the truth in love. The truth there, not being that we're called to tell people what we think. You know, I think your shirt is really ugly. You've got a stain right there. That's not, that's not the truth that we're talking about. The truth is with a capital T, truth. Um, and if I ever have a stain, you can, you can talk to me that way. It won't hurt my feelings. But that's not what it means. It's truth with a capital T. The truth of Christ and His death and resurrection. Who He is. We keep that central. That's a a key element. Without truth, there is no church life. You have a bunch of people that maybe are religious and nice, but it's not truly a church. A church without truth is a church without a church. It's a mere gathering of people. There's no church without truth, capital T, at the center. And we are called in all these things to community together. There's this interconnectedness as we Focus on the truth together. There's this interconnection. And that's throughout this passage as well. If you can look through uh, verses 16, it says, from the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Paul uses the analogy of the body because that communicates the truth of who a local church is to be. Christ is the head. and Each of us are a part. A pinky, a thumb, an elbow, whatever. Those things don't work unless they're connected to each other. When the body is assembled together and each part does its job, you have a full body. And that body actually is Christ on display. So there must be this vital interconnection in the body. Relational connection centered on truth. That is, that is what God is doing We are called to that connection. And we express that as a local church in formal membership. We do that because we believe formal membership is the best application of the Scriptures, the pictures like the body, the other things in Scripture that call us to be part of a local church. Formal membership allows us to know who are the members here. Yes, we we love and appreciate all the members of the universal church. Amen. But, But Ephesians and all the Scriptures calls us to a local church. In order for us to know who are the members we're to be interconnected with here, who can I depend on? Who am I responsible for to walk together? We need to know who is a member of King of Grace, who isn't. Yes, we recognize all believers are members of the entire body, but, but we are called to a local application. So for us, formal membership is an expression of this glorious call to walk out the truth of the Gospel, to be propelled by the Gospel, to practice church membership so that Christ might be put on full display. It's biblical. It's a great blessing. And in it, we experience this community. Christ is lifted up and we are able to accomplish the glorious purposes of God. That's the final point. The purpose of it all. The glory of God, the fullness of Christ put on display. This whole section here in Ephesians 4 And the discussion has a trajectory. It has a path towards a goal. It's going somewhere. Verse 13 says that the purpose of these interrelations with the Gospel at the center is to attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the mature man. It's a singular. The one mature man. A body becoming a mature man. Later on, he talks about the alternative, which is, is being children, immature, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by cunning, human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the alternative to the mature one man that's unified together is to be a number of infants blown and tossed by things. Unstable. Unproductive. Immature. Versus the mature man. And this mature man is to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you hear that? That's a profound thing he's saying right there. This mature manhood that is to be shaped, that is to be the church, as the church walks out, propelled by the Gospel, in these practices, as keeping the Gospel central, loving each other. As we do this, there's a mature man produced. One man together. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's profound. He spent three chapters talking about the of Christ filling all things and the glory of God on display through Christ. So the infinite God in all His glory decided I want to display how good I am and how great I am. And, and he does that in creation certainly. That's, That's so wonderful in and of itself. But he does it most profoundly in Christ. He says, I want to show my goodness, my holiness, my justice, my love, my faithfulness, my power. I want others to share in this and enjoy it and be blessed and find the meaning for life and to, to tell others about it. I want this to happen. I want to put my glory on display. How am I going to do that? I'm going to do that through Christ coming living this perfect life, dying for sinners, rising again and reigning and returning one day. That's how He does it. But, but, but what are the, the specifics? Where is the place He puts that on display? Where does He show Christ? The local church. The church. The fullness. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This little church, King of Grace Church, is somehow to display the fullness of Christ. That's amazing. It's glorious. It it is an amazing goal for a local church to be built up in the Gospel, in these things, in such a way that, that Christ is put on display in all His glory. That is the most significant call that we could have on this earth. To be part of Christ Himself being Put on display. Christ Himself being formed. Being part of that. Enjoying that. And then then seeing others drawn to that. Reaching out to others. Christ Himself in all His fullness reigning and displaying His glory through the local church. And through many local churches. It's bigger than just us. But we are an essential part of that. That's amazing. But I've seen it. I've seen it here. I was just thinking about this recently, um, recently, we had one of our beloved members go on to be with the Lord, and he's in glory. And you guys put Christ on display all around that time. And I know you weren't thinking, "I, I want to somehow shine for the glory of God and all these things, though I know that's your heart. I know it's every believer's heart to enjoy and promote the glory of God. But as you guys walked in truth and in love and came alongside the family, came alongside Julianne and the rest of her family and John's extended family and all their friends, you were putting Christ on display. And it was compelling. We had our memorial service here and you guys rallied in so many ways to provide food and friendship. And Perhaps you heard this. I know I did. I get to hear these things as pastor. Comment after comment about the blessing of this church. And I don't say that to boast in us, but to point to the fact that this is real, what God is doing here. There were people who probably never heard the Gospel and may never have heard the Gospel in our service, so that it was there. But they saw the fruit of the Gospel on display through your lives through Your love, through Your care, through Your commitment, through the wonderful food that was put out and the hospitality that was extended to the sincere questions that were asked and the condolences that were given. Christ, in His glory, was put on display. And people were drawn to that. And it's our prayer that they would come and taste and see and know Him and be part of the body. That is the goal of the local church to put the glory of Christ on display for our joy in Him and the blessing of others to be drawn to Him so that God may show His glory. The infinite glory of God put on display in an infinite way which should blow us away through finite, needy people by grace stumbling along trying to obey Ephesians 4. If the band could come up as we close. Paul prays in chapter 3. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Today, as we look at these truths, as we welcome new members, let us all, by grace, in light of this, recommit ourselves to God's plan. Recommit ourselves to being a part of what He is doing. To bring glory to His name. To bring blessing to us. To bring blessing to the world. Recommit ourselves to this. For some of you, You're already committed and it might just be that you need fresh faith. This is indeed what God is doing. And my prayer is that you would just be refreshed in this wonderful call. With fresh faith propelled by the Gospel, you would step and continue into your practice for the purpose of the glory of God put on display in the church. For some of us, we need to take other steps. Maybe you need to start attending a care group. If you are a member, we, we ask that you do that. We we require it not to be tough, but to love you and to help you be all you can be for the Lord. You are welcome, if you're not a member, to attend a care group to investigate the church. And if you are a guest, you are very welcome to come and be blessed on Sundays with us. And we want to give you plenty of room. we recognize for some, as you're hearing Ephesians 4, what you're thinking is, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. Or, that last church was so difficult, I don't know if I can do this again. We are patient. We want to do all we can to love you, to to trust the Lord, to minister to you. You have time to process through that. But it's not something without an end. At some point, it's time to believe God and step back into a local church. Be it this one or another. So be at ease. Be refreshed but to recognize there is a point where God will call you to trust Him and to plug in. Perhaps for some of us, you're involved in a care group, and that's so important, you're here, you're a member, but maybe there's some gift you have that's been lying dormant or just not fully given. And maybe God's saying, I want you to take that gift I gave you and use it. Use it to serve the church, perhaps on Sunday in a Sunday ministry or some other ministry of the church. So as we prepare to close in song, I just want to encourage you to take a minute right now. Talk to the Lord. Say, Lord, what would you have me do in light of all these things? And then we'll close in song. Let's stand and close in a song of thanksgiving for his wonderful grace to us.